Welcome. Welcome to this episode. Sorry, it's a bit late. Um, <clears throat> usual excuses. Mainly just being disorganised. But um, yeah, tonight's kind of episode, or this week's, or this bi-weekly, or this episode. I was thinking about, uh, well, Charlie Watts died today. So, um, interestingly, I was sat in hospital, actually, uh, this uh, tea time, and um, it just came on the news. And just last week, I was reading on uh, the BBC website about uh, Steve Jordan depping for um, Charlie Watts with the Stones, you know. And obviously, anybody that knows drums knows Steve Jordan and knows Steve Jordan's long relationship with Keith Richards etc etc uh, I mean if you've seen is it the groove is here I think I think that's what his video is like one of the greatest drum it's one of the only great drum DVDs uh, in my humble opinion I mean, there's a few you know the gad ones are great they have the very old the DCI videos they're kind of historic and iconic in their own ways and uh, but like the, the Steve Jordan one is one of the truly only great uh, just because of its content, you know, its content is about music and it's about relationships and the social side of things and about the people he's worked with and and it's all this this thing of the groove, you know. But for me, it's it's you know, it's more than that. It's more than that sort of a, that spiel. Uh, it's it's that you know, it's just when he's into when he, when Keith Richards is, is chatting, they're chatting to Keith Richards in the back of that limousine, and it's just like it's just so real and real people and. Um, and I was, yeah, I was just reading that article last week, and there's something about you know Charlie Watts was going in hospital for an operation or something. I couldn't, I can't remember exactly the details, but I was just kind of thinking, you know, he, he just says it all the, the kind of magnitude of of um, of that gig and about what he brought to that gig and who you know who they'd get in to you know to come and to cover for that you know, and it's got to be someone with a deep level of understanding of rock and roll and authenticity you know and Steve Jordan really really you know has that thing in a in a mega way you know um, anybody if you just go on YouTube and look up um, Steve Jordan uh, talks about rock and roll it's like an amazing little video it's it's just somebody filming him on a camera on a phone I think or something but it talks about the rock and the roll the swing and the straight together and it's like he's and he so nailed it, you know. There's a kind of, you know, some people have this way of describing things that are the, you know, inverted commas, the, the indescribable. Everything, everything's kind of describable, you know. If you know if you know what the heart of it is or you understand what it is and he really talks about that thing of the that kind of hi-hat thing, that, that shuffled hi-hat, swung hi-hat, the English beat thing and just that lineage... It's really interesting, and it's a massive area to study. And I know there's loads of drummers out there, and I really am I'm not any an authority on it at all. Um, and it's that vibe of I've you know I kind of always seen my always role as an educator or teacher is just to kind of prompt students that are interested in different areas into kind of getting interested in an avenue. Not that I know anything or much about that avenue. It's just more about turning people on to the avenue, you know, and then say, yeah, look down that avenue there, look down that road there, or, you know. And the Charlie Watts thing, the thing I realised tonight, I was just, 
it was getting late and I wasn't going to do this because I wasn't I didn't have time to be honest with you I, uh, it was my Tuesday nights are a very they're a very dull thing it's it's the supermarket run you know it's a trip to Lidl and uh, and I've been going during lockdown I've been kind of going to Lidl at this kind of half past eight in the evening because it's been very very quiet and you can kind of get around there and there's a few people that I've <laughs> a few people that always go at that time I kind of got to know a couple of couple of guys that I walk past and I say hello to you know just kind of hello you know because we every week we're kind of um and sometimes we miss each other because maybe I'm you know a little bit earlier or a bit later and vice versa but um but I you know I went this week this tonight I, I had to go to the allotment because I wanted to pick some of our tomatoes and I wanted to also do a bit more clearing of some other stuff and and then I went to the supermarket and I and uh and I'd had this thing on my mind, like thinking about Charlie Watts, you know, because I've been we've been into the hospital earlier on, and then um, come home, gone out to the allotment, and then gone to the supermarket. And I was coming home, and then I was just reading some stuff um, while I was having a brew after I got home after the supermarket. And I was like, "No, I'm going to come and record this thing because I wanted to do a little a little episode." It's kind of nothing to do with drums, really. It's just actually about sort of tributes to. I mean, basically, in the last two or three years. Uh, oh, that's my drum pedal. I thought somebody was walk. Somebody was walking on the ceiling of the shed, the drum shed. But it's actually my, it's actually a bass drum pedal. Getting these tightening. It's making a bit of a sound. Um, yeah, in the last two years, I'm not someone that goes on social media and goes, "Oh, someone's died and someone's died." Oh, it's all. I, I stay away from all that stuff. But I kind of felt compelled today with Charlie because when I'm teaching. Uh, I actually realised that I actually I reference him um, from time to time, and that, and that may sound like well, what was the big deal of that? But actually, you know, I don't reference many drummers often. Um, I don't kind of get into that thing really. Uh, I do talk about certain drummers and and. You know, and, and and particularly maybe you know drummers that have had more of a sort of closer relationship with my own development. But generally, you know, one of the drummers that I do talk about in jazz playing and about that thing of of playing with real purpose, but with with the most kind of relaxed and efficient approach to the instrument in a non egotistical way is Charlie Watts. You know, um, traditional grip drummer. You know, and uh, I, I just posted this thing on, on, on Instagram earlier on, and it was I was always a Keith Moon thing, and I've talked about that before. You know, if you go back to one of my early episodes, I go into a whole thing about Moon. Um, but in the background, I always had this thing about Charlie Watts because you know I got into Buddy Rich and got into the traditional grip thing, and Moon wasn't a traditional grip player, and and I knew you know my dad was into the Stones. My dad, you know, we, we didn't we were into we listened to a lot of chart music in the house. You know, top forty every Sunday. We sat around the family and listened to the whole two hour show together and listened to all that music. And we weren't a musical household, but we were kind of into music, you know. And um, and my dad had some Stones albums, you know. And then when I got into drums and kind of got into players a little bit. When I got into Buddy Rich, one of the things I clocked about uh, Charlie Watts was his trad grip thing and this very kind of just, you know, he played like, as I got to know older, like a lot of these um, really iconic, important black, American black Motown and session drummers, you know, that played, there were a lot of, there were a lot of like, 
jazz background players played trad grip recorded in those studios with the with the with the sort of single microphone um a lot of them were, were African American drummers, not all, but um, but there was a certain kind of there was a certain sort of approach to it and sound that was very warm and very groovy and deep, and it was it was all about the thing the the Steve Jordan thing, the groove thing, you know. And if you think about the Stones and uh, you think about Moon, you know the kind of the the, the craziness of his performance, you know, the way he looked when he played, and the, the, the silly thing of putting his fingers on top of the sticks, and and just that kind of manic, you know, kind of crazy lunatic. I was into that. I was into the the melodic thing with Moon, but I was never into that lunatic thing. You know, like looking. I'm too much of an introvert for that. And I secretly, I think I was really connected with Charlie's thing, with just his utterly chilled, just straight up and down, boom, bat, you know, traditional grip, not overplaying the snare, and just playing from um, from the heart, you know, playing from the centre of the music, not from the centre of an ego, you know. Uh, I'm not. I don't know anything about Charlie Watts. He maybe had a big ego. I don't know, but you know, just what the vibe of what I got. Um, and then this other thing I posted, as I mentioned in this post, when I moved to London, I knew some people that were playing with him, and he had this jazz orchestra at one point where he had three drummers. I think um, I'll be corrected here. Anybody listening who maybe knows would probably know more than me, but I'm pretty sure Tony Mann was maybe involved. Um, Martin Drew, I'm not sure, but he had three drummers. One of them was him, and then this big band. But he also had a jazz quartet, and a guy I knew, a trumpet player that I knew quite well, and who was doing some nice session gigs. He was playing in Charlie's band, you know, and he, like, he just said he was such a nice guy, you know. And it, the band was like, you know, he was a, it was a band that he put together and I think he was almost like self-funding it in a way, you know. He was just, he wanted to play. He wanted to play jazz and he wanted to just play that music and, and, and have a vibe, you know. And and it was all it was always not about that kind of drummy-tastic thing, that kind of drum, drum sort of... Um, the, the the nerdy side of drums or the technical side or the kind of egotistical side or the kind of one you know the the one up personship side of drums it was about something else and so I always really loved that kind of thing about about his playing you know and it was always something that um in that kind of I don't know just just I don't know where it just feels like it sort of connects more with my in, the introverted side of my personality, which kind of dominates more than um, more than I realise a lot of the time. You know, especially when I'm playing. Um, you know, the sort of the thing that's almost tipping into the self conscious thing occasionally, and the self awareness thing and stuff. Um, but you know, that's a whole other thing. But but this episode. Um, I wanted to talk about some other people that have died recently that I've not talked about at all. They were a massive influence on me, you know, and it's kind of all brought it, just all brought it back today, you know. Um, and in no kind of, in no significant order, um, 
like Jon Christensen, you know, the Norwegian jazz drummer, um, died within the last, um, I think it was eight, in the last 18 months or something. And I, and I might have mentioned that on a previous episode. I can't remember, to be honest with you. Um, but he was a hugely influential um, player to me, you know. And so, I mean, so today's kind of episode is just about checking out some some music if you're interested that might that maybe you may be into, you know. The Stones, you know, obviously needs no introduction. Just go and check out the Stones. Go and, you know, some of the, 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 the early albums and that sound. It's such a sound, you know. Mm. Sorry, it's got the old coffee going on here. Um... But the the Young Christensen thing for me, the 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 big influence was the, was the Jarrett thing, you know, and as, as I probably mentioned before, and and I was very into Jarrett, and I got into Dijonette early on, after I got I was into Buddy, and I got into Jarrett, and, and then I, and then this guy who I lived in in this dormitory with at school, boarding school, he he got this album called uh, Keith Jarrett Works, and it was a bootleg album from. Um, from Thai, Thailand, I think. His father was an architect and he travelled a lot. And it was a... Because ECM had these albums called Works and it wasn't that at all. It was it was a bootleg album called Works and it had it had two albums on it. It had My Song and it had Belonging, half of each album. It had the greatest hits of those albums, like Country and As Long As You Know You Live In Yours and, you know, and uh, The Wind Up and etc. So, uh, Spiral Dance. Oh. Uh, so it was kind of that was my introduction to Jon Christensen, and uh, and I was really really obsessed with those records, you know. And then I got into that Solstice band with Towner and Garbrecht and and Weber, um, and I was really that's one of I think one of the greatest jazz drum recorded modern jazz drum sounds. The first track of that album, Solstice, with that with that band that quartet. That drum sound when he comes in with that funky groove, you know, I think it's just anybody that's into jazz drums who hears that, you know what I'm talking about. That sound is it. It is Gretsch Round Badge 18. It's um, the studio is probably Rainbow in Oslo. It might not be. I might be wrong about that. Uh, there, there, there was various phenomenal fantastic um studios that ecm were using at that time but um i would have to look that up but it, i mean it's it's him at his best for me you know um he was such a funky player such a funky player for for a for a kind of player that i felt was quite free you know, had a kind of free, improvised thing, you know, and a really blank canvas vibe about the way he played, you know. Um, it didn't detract from the fact that the guy was so funky, you know. And um, like Charlie, so 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 groovy, just pockety, it just, you know, just a groove, just a thing, the centre of it all, you know. Uh, so... Just as a little tribute to Jon, I'd just recommend, if you haven't listened to any of that music, go and check it out. It might really turn you on to a whole different vibe of music, you know. Um, and then another person that was massively important to me, Lyle Mays. Anybody that knows me would know 
know that anyway. But people that don't know me, I mean, Lyle was hugely influential on my writing, my composition. Uh, and it's not just the classic, the Oberheim four voice sound that, because uh, I managed to, I managed to replicate that sound uh, in quite a complicated way. Actually, I was trying to. I used to be able to sort of program FM synths a little bit, and uh, I found a way to program because uh, it's based on this Oberheim four voice thing, and, and I managed to replicate it with a with a two oscillator thing, which had a, a little bit of shenanigans that went on, and it went into like a this sample card thing that I ran at the time, and I managed to end up with this sound that was pretty close, you know, and I and I used to use it a bit in my writing and. Um, you know, and it was one of those things that I, it was a, it was a beautiful sound. It was slightly different than his sound, but very very close. And it was you know I'm making no odds, you know excuses. It was it was definitely copied from that sound. But the only reason why I used it was because you could buy a synth. There was an I think there was an Elysis, one of the Elysis synths uh, had it as a preset. Somebody else had copied it, and I think there was also another synth that that had it as well. Maybe on the Rolands or something, or the Korgs, but. You know, um, and it was called like Lyle's Lyle's vibe. I, don't, I can't remember, but uh, it was like the Oberheim four voice sound. You know, oh. and for those of you who don't know that sound, I mean, the, the one of the greatest places to start with that. When I mean, the first time I heard it was on live at Montreal Jazz Festival in '83. I think it was '83, early '80s, with with the the band post Mark Egan. So it's Steve Robby on bass. And it's Nana Vashkonshelos on percussion with Gottlieb, Lyle and Pat, you know. And uh, that was the first Matheny I heard. It was on television. It was a video. It was a live thing on, on video. And I, and I remember watching that obsessively over and over again. I was so into the music. And one of the things I was so into, because I just got into kind of Jarrett, was Lyle, you know, this amazing piano player and just so melodic and singing and joyous. And then these synth sounds, you know, and also the, the way he'd program a pad, you know, so inspirational, the way he'd program like a synth pad. Incredible. I mean, if you've ever, um, if you get the album First Circle and um, ah, the the name of the ballad, there's a ballad on there, the uh, name of it escapes me now. Um, but it's one of the most amazing synth pad uh, mix, like the mix of it uh, I mean it's quite an interesting album that because apparently the story goes and, I may, and maybe this is wrong and I may be speaking out of turn but it was the last ECM album that the Matheny group did you know with, with Ica Manfred Ica the ECM sort of executive producer and apparently the story goes that you know they had a difference of uh, an artistic difference Um. I don't know, you know, whether that's true or not, and maybe I'll get sued for saying this on and, and publishing this. Yeah, that's fine, you know, whatever. Um, but the the bottom line of that that album, and I think this is kind of pretty universally agreed, is that like people love the album, then they love the music on that album, you know. But they but they love the album, they love the sound of the album, and it really has got one of my favourite. Um, like it's acoustic guitar and there's a pad in the background and it's so it's so low in the mix but it's like incredible the the you know the the kind of production side of it the way the way they've got it to sit 
and just the the way in which the pad is the, you know the 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 way it's been programmed and the way it's um it's just like there's a whole deep level of of thought process has gone into that kind of um, to get a sound that sits underneath the guitar in that way and uh, non in you know completely non obtrusive at all but but um if it wasn't there, you'd really miss it. You know, it's one of those. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's so true. There's occasions in life where that genuinely is the case. You know, and uh... but it's a great album anyway. Um, you'll land, you learn that 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 second track after the weird. Is it called Forward March or something? But uh, it's that kind of rocky tune. Paul Wertico, mega. Um, but yeah, but but the. The first, if you if you can find that video on YouTube, very, very easy to find, Pat Metheny, Montreux Jazz Festival. I think it's like 83. And they start with that um, with that track that's on uh, a great album called As Falls, Which Are, So Falls, Which Are Falls. And uh, this is the, the Oberheim Four Voice kind of track, you know. Um, and I think it's called It's For You, I think. Is that the name of the track? Uh, ooh, not sure. I'm terrible with names. Apologies. It doesn't matter anyway. I mean, the, the great thing about being crap with names and you tell people to buy an album, you just end up to listen to the whole album, don't you? You know, which is what you should do anyway. So, um, well, I think it's called It's For You. And it's got this beautiful tune. And it's on the four voice, you know. And there's nothing like that sound. It was so unique. Mm. So yeah, Lyle died, and Lyle was like he was only in his sixties. You know, it's like absolutely devastating, and I was really devastated about that because it was, you know, Lyle. I mean, he was someone that stopped. He'd stopped gigging um, quite a few years ago. I mean, he was a he was a he was a very intelligent man, um, very intelligent human being was a kind of polymath computer programmer, um, very good at chess, you know, and obviously musically extremely bright. And he and and I've read some interesting things about Lyle and and there's a great um Marianne McPartland um inter, uh, interview with him and it's really interesting because he talks about being more of a composer than a piano player. You know, he's, he's thinking he comes to the piano as a composer. He doesn't come from the piano to composition or he doesn't come from the piano to music. He's like, he comes to the, from composition, the improvisation thing. And when you listen to his solos, I, I, that was the thing I always loved about his solos, you know, is just this. And that was why I loved Jarrett as well, because the, the thing that I really, really got into with Jarrett was the, was the improvised solo concerts. I just love this idea of of, uh, of of somebody sitting down and and making up really beautiful listen listenable music, you know. And that's what I've always loved about improvisation, which is why I've always been kind of drawn to jazz, you know. Um, and I think that's kind of I think a lot of people struggle with with that when you talk to them about you know i mean people you know in life ask me about occasionally ask me about what i do you know and and you know it's always like a nightmare somebody says oh you play drums do you play in a band you know and you say well yeah i play with, with lots of different people doing lots of 
And the thing I get in there really quickly with is I just say I play with a lot of I play with a lot of people that um, I get asked to play uh, with a lot of jazz people, and then immediately like people get quite confused and they and they suddenly realise that asking you if you play in a band and are you famous is not what's going on here, you know. I ain't, I'm not Charlie Watts, you know. Never will be and never would have been. But um, so it, it's that kind of thing of, and then they sort of then they think, oh, you you're a jazz musician. You're into wearing polo neck shirts and all that kind of malarkey. And it's like, and then it's just like, no, it's just the connotation of that thing of being a jazz musician, and, you know. And 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 and, and some of that sort of thing exists you know, where I work and it exists, you know, culturally in, in in different musical circles that I'm in and stuff. And it's very, I find it very interesting, but it's just the, the thing for me just to kind of, you know, to have it said, you know, uh, once and for all really is that I, I was just always into, into music that was kind of jammed, you know, music that was played uh, socially in the moment uh and I also liked listening to people that improvised, but I didn't like listening to people that improvised when it sounded hideous, you know, when it was music that like that was just kind of ugly and you know, and uh, and and that I have a clear about I have a clear idea of what that means for me. It might not mean the same thing for you, and it shouldn't do, but I know what that means for me, you know. And so I, you know. The 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 Jarrett solo concert thing is music that is just it's so beautiful and moving to listen to and and to and to listen to time and time again you know as if it as if it's a great composition you know as if it's a a piece of a piece of music that you know that you know while anybody buys music and listens to but listens to a track a thousand times you know. And so, um, and the, the really interesting thing about the Matheny group, just getting back to Lyle, <coughs> excuse me, for a second, it's just that thing of the very, the difference between, like, the Matheny approach to improvising. And Matheny is like, so you get you get people say these things about, and I kind of joke about it occasionally with Mike Stern, you know, he's got one solo with two sounds, and that's not true. And I love Mike Stern, and he's mega. But he's got a vibe. He's got, a, and he's made like a real, you know, identifiable sound. Uh, and he, you know, when you listen, to, you you really hear him. You know, there's a couple of other players that kind of sound quite like him, um, or, or from the similar area era, and have got a similar approach. And 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 the Matheny thing is is the same. The Matheny's like if you really like get into it. Like he's invented a whole language within, and a language, and and more deeply, you know, or specifically, a, a vocabulary, a set of of individual uh, words within a language, the language of jazz and the language of improvising, which is unique and absolutely identifiable you know so somebody if somebody's playing lines that are transcribed the Matheny then you you hear that you know you know exactly where that lineage has come from um and and on guitar I think it's a really really hard thing you know because 
to to stand out from the very 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 crowded room of 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 amazing uh, guitarists in the world. There's so many amazing guitarists in so many you know genres of music and stuff and. And uh, the reason why all the people that we talk about, the usual suspects, you know, the reason why all these people are actually amazing is because they've done that thing. They've managed to find uh, a way of uh, of playing, which is, you know, which is not, not just amazing in, in its feel and its sound and its technique and all that stuff, but just in its kind of in its identity and its artistic kind of... Uh, um, where it, uh, how it shares its voice with the world, and how you kind of really, you can, you know, it's somebody's voice, like me, it's like me speaking now, you know. Um, and the, the 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 one sort of exception to that, in my mind, has always been Alan Holsworth because it's just because it's like another, I don't know, I can't even, and like another level above that. It's so just incredible um, virtuosic thing, you know. I uh, like Jarrett, very, very virtual, you know, virtuosic. And uh, the, the Jarrett thing's quite sad now because, um, as it's, it's probably, it's known now publicly that he has had a stroke. I think he's had a couple of strokes actually, and he's not, you know, he's not playing and he's not got use of um, of one of one of his hands. I'm not sure which one actually. Um, there's an, there was an interview about this about this uh, Budapest concert that came out um, last year, and uh, in that he talks a bit about. But I, I've not even kind of processed, to be honest with you, that thing of thinking about the fact that you know that uh, you know Jarrett's kind of playing days as it was are over. I mean, he talks about that a little bit in the interview, but I mean, it's just you know what what a tragic 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 thing. But he's you know. The, the, the fragility of humanity and, and what happens when people get older and and what have you. But um, but anyway, the Matheny thing, amazing. Lyle's sound within all that um, music and, you know, just uh, massively influential on me uh, in my writing in... Uh, you know, and a lot, and a lot of that music, and the and the playing within that music, the drumming. You know, uh, Danny Gottlieb was very influential. Paul Wertico was very influential on me, like Jon Christensen. And then there was this kind of it. There was this certain influence within those players um, that had this kind of. Um, there's like the there's like the straight in inverted commas very much so. By the way, jazz thing. There's the Latin, the Brazilian thing, you know. And then there's this kind of... Um, the thing that I've always found very confusing in my own life, this uh, the kind of... That that solstice drum sound, the Gretsch, you know, the, the Tony Williams sound versus the fusion sound, which, you know... I've always been drawn very, very much to both those sounds and found it. I find it very hard. Just this very simple, simple thing of, of like, do I tune the tom down or up? You know, it's like, it literally comes down to that. And then it's like the floor tom. Oh, how low do I tune the floor tom? You know, it's just, it's a thing that goes on and on and on. And uh, I never seem to be able to make a decision with that, you know. Um, resolve the sitting, the height thing, but the, the tom tuning thing, 
it's still an ongoing battle, my friends, I'm afraid. So, um, but yeah, so, yeah, Lyle Mays passed away. Absolutely uh, tragic, tragic, tragic thing. And died very young as well. Uh, and I knew that, I'd heard that, you know, he had had some health problems. Um but another thing I was very sad about was that he'd stopped touring. He'd stopped. He'd, he'd decided to. He started. He was working for Spectrosonics, and uh, there's a there's a a virtual instrument. There are you know synth virtual instruments synth coming. I don't know a lot about them to be honest, but they, they, they made a thing called um, it was called Atmosphere, and then there was a there was a, a, a massively updated. Uh, expanded version of this software synth called Omnisphere, which is a mate absolutely brilliant. And it's, you know, those things that's really interesting about those software synths is everyone thinks, you know, oh, it's zeros and ones and it's, you know, they all sound the same and they, they really don't, you know. Uh, I used to use one called Reality on the PC and then Windows 98 went to XP and, and they couldn't reprogram, that it wouldn't code to XP. And they never rewrote this thing but reality was a sample it was like a sample player um and you could load different formats of things into it but i created a lot of my own instruments in it as well because i was quite into that thing at the time but it had a sound about it um it just had a sound it had a character about the sound of the synth the, the, the sort of the the architecture of the sort of vibe of the sound and I really really loved the sound of it and then it and then I was even considering at one point running a PC on Windows 98 just on its own with a sound card in it that just ran reality with it as a, and I'd play it from a MIDI keyboard you know and I just thought that's just a farcical thing to do you know because um, but I really a lot of the writing I was doing um I had this slight nightmare, you know, uh, and then I moved over to this kind of um, sound, uh, sound blaster, sound font thing, which was kind of compatible, and uh, I kind of got into programming that as well. It's this thing called, I think it's called Vienna, the software, and I kind of got into programming that a bit. So some of the stuff kind of did go over into that format, but um, it didn't sound the same though. There's just things like when I used to sample my own drums and stuff and I used to put them into reality and they just had this sound about them. And there's something about the way the velocity... There's so many different things. I don't know if the velocity curve was programmed in a certain way. I just don't know. But but the thing that I know is they couldn't re... They, they, they never recoded it for XP. So um, it kind of died. The the software died with um, with 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 Windows ninety um, ninety eight, which was which was sad, you know. Um, and somewhere on some CDs somewhere in the loft, I've got all that stuff backed up, you know. Um, anyway, that's um, blah blah blah. By the by, I've still got actually a laptop that was my dad's. Actually, um, my dad had a couple of laptops. Um, which I inherited when he passed away, and um, one of them went to a, a, a guy I've been teaching at Leeds, uh, the better one, um, and the the older one, which would I'd kind of stopped working. I, I reinstalled it all, and I'm running. If I need to, I've got this kind of Cubase archive. It's like stuff from 15, 20 years ago, and it's all archived in Cubase formats. And if I need to get anything, I've now got this laptop I can load. But again, I, I, I considered actually putting X uh, ninety eight on this laptop, you know, and um, 
putting a solid state drive in it, putting 98 on it, and then re kind of uh, bringing the phoenix from the ashes of, of reality back to, back to life, you know. But it's all that kind of thing. I was very into all that stuff, and Lyle was massively influential upon me, you know. And then, and then so I'd heard that he'd retired from playing and he was programming um, this stuff for Spectrosonics, for beer and stuff, and... And then uh, and, and I've read some interviews just saying that, you know, that, that he'd given up the gigging thing because of it was just financially not worth it and it was too much, too much, it was just hard, hard work to travel and all that thing. And, and, and obviously the Matheny group had finished. Uh, Pat was kind of starting to do his own thing then, you know, those, those bands with Sanchez and which kind of evolved, um, you know, and still, and still something that, um, that he's doing now. But... Um, yeah, and then and then and then he died, which was absolutely tragic. So that was another one. Um, after that, less influential on me, but worth mentioning. Um, but again, to most people that probably listen to this would know and, and be massively into Chick career anyway. But you know, uh, Chick career obviously passed away. Um, that wasn't such a shock because I'd, I'd sort of heard that he wasn't well and he had um, he had some uh, yeah very serious um, cancer thing uh, I think it was a bit of a shock how, how quickly he passed away but I, I, it was something that I'd sort of heard on the grapevine that he was not you know he was very poorly and uh, um, but it's just that thing of you know he was around about doing the rounds and doing some live streamy stuff and whatever and then and then um, you know then he was gone you know but um Another piano player, and uh, very interestingly, Chick Chick was a player that I never connected with uh, that deeply. Um, but some tracks that he recorded are things that I've gone back to time and time again, especially within teaching. And uh, and one of them, uh, if you've not heard this, there was a there was a like one of those, it's one of those moments in time where I think it was, I don't know what the backstory is, and that somebody will know the backstory. And if and if anybody knows Vinny or Patucci or whatever, or New Chick, you know they'll know the backstory to this. Uh, all I heard was that Dave Weckl was not available, and Vinny was uh, Vinny did a death. And it's this um, this video. It came out actually on Laserdisc in '92, and so I first got wind of this thing because it was out on Laserdisc I didn't, I didn't have a Laserdisc player and, and, it, and I don't think it was widely available in the UK anyway um, but my friend Pete Hughes had this gig on CD which he gave me it was live at the Blue Note uh, in Tokyo and it was the, the, the Chick Corea acoustic trio but it was with Vinnie not with Dave Weckl um, and anybody that knows me knows that I was never really an electric band fan. I was never into that the electric band thing, and um, I was never a massive, uh, massively into Dave Weckl either. It was just not my kind of. At that time, I was into Dijonette and different drummers and you know whatever. Um, and and so this kind of uh, this gig, which in '92 I'd, I, I wasn't aware of. Um, of of the gig in 92 I wasn't even aware that it had happened but uh, my my friend Pete gave me a copy of this uh, thing 
it would have been like nine, 98 or 99 or something, you know, or maybe even later than that, actually. Uh, it may have been something that um, they copied for me, uh, yeah, later than that. Um, but, no, no, it would, it would have been earlier than that because um, an old friend of mine, John Thorne, great bass player, great musician, who used to be uh, very involved in the, Man- the Manchester scene, but moved moved away you know, a few years ago to the Isle of Wight. And uh, John was like, he's a great bass player, and he used to play a lot with John. And, uh, he plays in a band called Lamb, and he's played with all sorts of people, uh, John. He's a really, really kind of... Uh, he is a real character. Um, and, uh, yeah, big love to John, uh, who I know won't be listening to this. But... Um, John had a copy of this thing on VHS, on, on a video, and he lent it to me. And I remember watching this gig, and it was quite badly um, copied, but you could see it and hear it. I was just, like, mesmerised by Vinnie playing this music with Chick and Patucci. You know, there's something about it that was, like very very different than the thing that I was not into with the electric with the sorry with the acoustic trio the Weckle thing and it's and it's amazing that music with Chicken Weckle and, and Patucci but I was just never kind of into it but this was like very different and uh, and then obviously now it's on YouTube so you can find it very easily it's just Chick Career Live at the Blue Note 92 with that trio and the second track's called Tumba it's like a 6-8 um you know, Afro-Cuban, Latin, vine, whatever, fusion-y thing. And they do that thing where it's like, um, you know, it's like kind of a bembe kind of thing, and then it goes into get goes from the bembe to rumba clave thing. So, and it's a great, I have to talk about what I'm teaching, it's just a great uh, thing to really hear that relationship between 6-8 or 12-8 and 4-4, you know. Um, and just kind of actually how all over it those guys uh, are, were and are, you know. Um, I mean, Chick's, like, time playing is, like, so heavy. It, like, his sense of rhythm and the way he can just, like, turn the rhythm on his head, you know. And uh, it's, just that, it's just a kind of playful thing that I really, really love in that gig with Chick, you know. And, and my thing, my theory was always that it was Vinny that was kind of bringing, you know, this kind of a little bit of mayhem, a little bit of Vinny-ness, which is always omnipresent, you know. Uh, and uh, it's very funny, that video, because, you know, Vinny's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and all that stuff. Very, It's, uh, it's just dead normal and superb. And, and Humpty Dumpty, the first track, he's playing on that. It's, you know, super fusion jazz uh, or jazz fusion, whichever way you want to think about it. But as a, as a drumming thing, it's like really full on, you know. And it's quite interesting to hear swing playing in that style because I had a real revelation with Weckle. I hadn't heard Dave Weckle for years, and, and Pete Hughes, my uh, very good friend, I was talking about then. We went to see Mike Stern in Leeds in. Uh, when will it have been? 90. Oh, I don't know late 90s 
And uh, I hadn't heard Dave Weckl play for ages because I just hadn't been listening to him. You know, I'd kind of gone through a stage of um, gone through the early nineties and moved through some other things and and just wasn't into listening to that kind of music. And I went to see Mike Stern, and I knew that Weckl played a lot with Mike Stern, and I was always a big Mike Stern fan. Um, but I like the albums with Erskine on and Steve Jordan and stuff. Um, but actually, you know, some stuff with Weckl on is great. And Dennis Chambers, I was very, very into Dennis Chambers as well. You know, big, big John Schofield fan and Dennis Chambers fan. And, you know, Blue Matter is like a very, very influential album on me. And Still Warm as well, which that's Homar Akeem, by the way. But just Schofield was very influential. Guitars and pianos, you know, at that time. Became vocalists uh like 80s and 80s and 90s to late 90s was all instrumental music for me and then uh and then the vocal thing really happened massively um which was kind of getting more back to my roots really back to the who you know back to music with with singers and when i was ill when i was ill when i was 30 and uh i spent a lot of time listening to a lot of music uh uh the vocal music was really, really important to me then and and, and became has become more and more important now, you know. Um, I'm sort of drawn more and more to vocal music and vocalists, actually, and a few of the projects that I'm involved in at the moment are actually, you know, vocal projects and some of the, sort of the most important projects to me over the last few years have been, have been involved with vocalists. So... Um, but uh, anyway, gone gone off on a, another tangent. There, I need to stay on, stay off tangent, stay on tangent. But yeah, John Schofield, blah blah blah, Weckle. But I went to see Mike Stern at the Irish Centre in Leeds, and it was a mega gig, and Weckle was playing, and he sounded amazing. And it was that that fusion, fusiony, jazzy swing thing, and there was something more raw about the way he was playing that I really um, was really into. More dynamic, but it was more raw, you know, it was less kind of um, precise, is that, I don't know if that's the right word, but just clinical. I don't really like the word clinical because it's um, um, it always sounds a bit negative, you know, but um, or polished, you know. Um, but... It's funny, I heard him twice on that tour because at the end of the tour, I heard that band again right there. I think it was their last UK gig at Band on the Wall in Manchester. They'd been all... The the gig at the Irish Centre was, I think, their second date in the UK. They'd done the Barbican the day before. And after the gig, in at Leeds at Leeds Irish Centre, Dave Weckl was trying to get a beer, uh, like a, a proper pint of bitter he was really kind of uh, he was trying to get a pint of bitter from from the from someone behind the bar and this lady served him you know she opened the bar up for him and he was like he had this beer you know and he'd obviously like yeah, I want a proper beer and I, I just went up to him and started talking to him and he was very nice you know and I said uh, what you uh, how how many how many gigs have you uh, have you done in, over here and he said oh we'd just done the Barbican last night and he said oh we had a nightmare with the sound he said, but tonight we had the opposite problem. He said the sound was almost like too good tonight. He said it was, and I said, yeah, the sound in the room was amazing. The band and the balance of the band and everything, it was really mega. And it was Bob, it was Bob Malik on sax on that gig, and I think it's Bob Shepherd on the the gig at Band on the Wall. It wasn't the same sax player, um, but it was the rest of the band was the same. It was um, Lincoln Goins 
I think, on bass, uh, who I'd actually see. I saw previously with Stern, with Bob Berg and Chambers in, in 89 at Town & Country Club, um, which was a great gig. Um, quite a funny gig, but... Uh, well, yeah, anyway, so... I saw the band again, uh, band on the wall on the on their way home, and I think it was their last gig. They'd done all, they'd gone all the way over Europe and done all these other gigs and blah blah blah, and they'd come back and done this, and ended the tour at Band on the Wall in Manchester, and then they were going back to America the next day, I believe. And it was interesting because that gig was it was amazing, but it was it was more uh, it didn't feel as raw to me. It felt. Um, just more kind of good, you know. I can't put it into words. Um, there was just something about this gig, this, and I think it was maybe because I hadn't heard him play like that and hadn't heard him play for so many years. And I was just like, wow, this is mega. Like, Dave, I'd listen to him, you know. He's right. Oh, and, he, and he'd obviously, you know, before that, anybody knows the kind of drum video DVD culture. Weckl had made these this series of videos about his time with Freddie Gruber, you know, and and having the lessons and changing his technique and stuff. And this playing was all post that, so um, I was kind of interested in that as well because I was I was uh, I thought they were very they're very good videos. The way he talks about uh, his kind of the evolution in his sound and the, the, the change in technique and, and the way he talks about Freddie Gruber, it's a really... Um, uh, I think it's a great thing that that's been kind of archived, you know, because um, I think Freddie Gruber was a very important person in, in the drum evolution, uh, in drum evolution technique, and he doesn't get talked about as much as, say, Jim Chapin does, you know, just as a for instance, I'm not going to I'm not going to use the obvious of Joe Morello, uh, but or Alan Dawson. Um, people, you know, um, have a, have a very strong lineage within drum, kind of um, the evolution of the instrument in relation to education. Um, but I just think Gruber's uh, because he was <laughs> a bit of an enigma and a bit crazy, I believe. Um, it's kind of harder to pin down in a way, but I'd, if you haven't watched those videos, I would I would recommend them. You know, um, yeah, it's not a tribute to uh, you know Freddie Groove's obviously not alive anymore, but you know it's uh, this thing has come from Lama. God knows how we've got here from uh, Oh Chikari. Sorry, of course, yeah, with Vinny and uh, blah blah blah. So, um, but yeah, I recommend checking them out as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just been, yeah, funny day. So, and it's been a funny week or two because it's been um, back to um, playing quite a lot for me. It's been great. Um, I did uh, my first couple of gigs a couple of weeks ago and then it's been quite full on since done some recording, which I talked about last time, which is, which is kind of, didn't happen this weekend because some other stuff happened and it got cancelled, which was a shame. But then a couple of last-minute gigs happened, you know. I was very, very lucky. Um, a gig happened on Saturday, which was just a, just a function gig with a very nice band. And then in in the band, um, 
a chap called Mike Hall, who I used to play a lot with uh, in in the 90s. We had a band called Blueprint, and it was a great band. Um, Mike was on this gig, and I managed to sort of persuade him to um, to get me to play on a, on his... Uh, he had a gig in his garden that, he's, that his wife organises the day after, and it was great because it was with... a. A really great old friend of mine, Ollie Collins, great bass player. We played a lot and a lot together, and Ollie used to be in my band, and we used to do lots of projects together. And they haven't played so much together in the last few years. Uh, but Ollie was playing, and he's playing double bass, and he was playing great. It was really great to play with him and see him, but also on double bass, which I've hardly played with him on double bass, and he's sounding really good. Uh, and a guy called Robin Dewhurst, great piano player, Manchester piano player. Really, uh, Robin's kind of. He's a bit of a kind of legend, Robin, you know, because he's been involved in kind of the Salford education thing, which Dave Hassel was involved in. And there's a whole, and Tim France, and there's a whole kind of, there's quite a deep lineage there with the Manchester thing, with the Salford University thing, you know, and uh, lots of great people have come through that Salford thing. And like, uh, like my old friend Stuart McCallum, you know, Stuart went to Salford and stuff. And, I was born in Salford, not that I went to Salford Uni or anything, but, you know, just all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, Robin was playing piano and I, I'm, and I haven't played with Robin for ages, so it was great to see him. I haven't played with anybody for 18 months, but, I mean, I haven't played with Robin for a few years. And uh, and then it was Alan Barnes on sax, on Barry and alto and clarinet and, and mega, and he's so great, Alan, such a nice guy and... Very deep guy, Alan. You know, he's kind of funny, but he's a very spiritual guy as well. He's um, he's quite an interesting character, Alan. I really like uh, like sort of uh, seeing, spending time with him because he's he's very funny, but he's got this side to him that's um, you know it's quite spiritual. Talks about those kind of things, um, yeah, which a lot of people don't. You know, they don't kind of go there. You know, which is great. So and and Mike was playing sax. And Mike's great. So we did this gig, this wedding thing on Saturday, and it was a really nice gig, really nice band. Um, and then, um, and then I, I was looking on Sunday to go and do the play in his garden in the afternoon. So I've, and I've had this thing of really, really needing to get match fit again, you know, in, as in getting out and playing with people and, and starting to sort of just get the nervous system back in that zone. And, uh, I feel like a profound difference from the first gig I did a couple of weeks ago to the gig I did on Sunday. Just like that thing of um, of playing with people. And I'd done some recording as well. And, and one of the one of the days recording, uh, like last weekend, was was we, played, we did a lot of playing, you know, and uh, and quite loud playing. I really felt physically out of shape, you know, as well. So it's like kind of thing of physically being out of shape sort of nervous system being out of shape or out, kind of out of kilter. Uh, and then just on the phone to, like, lots of people have been ringing about projects and doing things. It's, it's quite an exciting time. I feel quite kind of buzzing a little bit about getting back into playing, you know. And I uh, started practising again, and, and I'm sort of I'm about to yeah, start the lessons again, hopefully in September, if I, if I can get the time. Uh, maybe it's maybe going to be October before that starts again. Um, and it was great because uh, Russ Gleason and Neil Wilkinson had a drum hang. They had a the drummer, the jazz drummers round table, uh, and it was with John Riley. You all know about John Riley, blah blah blah. Um, 
and it was Jeff Hamilton, which was great. And I did, I went to one of Jeff's drum hangs a few months ago. And it was really good. He did a lot of play on that. But the other person on this was uh, one of my one of the other drummers that was really influential on me early on. Small group jazz drummer was Kenny Washington. Um, and I think I've talked about that before because we had so little jazz on television in the UK when I was, you know, when I was like 12 or 13. Channel 4 and BBC 2 were the, the two channels that, that had jazz very occasionally. And over a couple of weeks with these Live at the Village Vanguard things, uh, which I think were on Channel 4. They might have been on ITV, actually, but I think they were Channel 4. Uh, and one of them was this Richie Cole quintet, which was... Which was great, but pretty cheesy. Um, with this hilarious piano player, um, oh, what's his name? Me and Les Chisnell used to used to laugh about him all the time. Sort of amazing player, but sort of crazy all over the place. Um, oh, what's his name? Ah, ah, it's gonna come. It'll come back to me. It's on the tip of my head. But the other the other thing that was on was the Johnny Griffin Quartet. Um, with Kenny on drums. And I again, it was another thing, because there was so little to watch, It was I watched it over and over and over and over again. And so, yeah, that was uh, that was on this week, the drum hang with, um, with those guys, which was really great, and uh, managed to persuade my friend Sebastian de Crom to go on there. And he asked a really good question, Seb, and John Riley gave a great answer. And I ended up practising... Uh, been practicing this thing all week. I was practicing it while I was on the thing, actually, and uh, it's something I'd never practiced before. And it was weird because it's very close to something that I've been practicing a lot uh, recently, which is because I think I've talked about it before where the par- where you play a paradiddle and you go flam flam, and then you play the diddle with a flam, so it's like a flam tap. Blah 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 da blah da blah da blah 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 da blah 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 da. Flam, flam, right, flam, right, right, flam, flam, uh, right, left, left, yeah? Flam, flam, left, right, right, flam, flam, right, left, left, yeah, blah, 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 blah. So it all ends up sounding like blah, 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 doesn't it? Um, but John Riley talks about this thing uh, from this question Seb said, he, uh, this thing called the windmill, which um, she's not familiar to me. I probably should know all this stuff, really, but I'm not a massive hybrid rudiment kind of guy I'm afraid I never got in never got hip to that thing I was always quite traditional um but the windmill is a reverse paradiddle with um with with flams uh, there's a flam blah 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 So it's um, yeah. So there's a flam with the diddle, and then there's two singles. So you've got right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left. But with the right, right, you've got bladder. So flam right, left right, uh, right left, and then flam left, left left, uh, right left. So it's a reverse paradiddle with a flam. And then he was saying, but you put a Swiss Army triplet before that, and it's a, it's a group of seven. Blah 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 and. I've just spent the last week practicing that pattern. It's been great. And it's actually it's actually more interesting to play the other way around. You play the paradiddle with the flam, and then you play the Swiss Army after it. It reverses the sticking immediately. The blah blah did the blah blah the blah blah did the blah blah the blah. And it's just a different way of playing that sound, you know. Um 
and it's kind of funny because I've been spending ages practicing this thing of flam, 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 right, right, flam, flam, right, flam, left, left. You know, is the the uh, forward a normal paradiddle, but with two flams with the singles and then a flam with the double, and uh, and it's just another little another little thing that's helped kind of increase or or, or add to the sort of the flexibility of um, of. Uh, of of being able to put flams anywhere, and it and it still, it still, sort of reinforces my little theory about about flams. But anyway, I'm not hundred percent convinced I'm right. But um, because I'm not on it enough technically, I sometimes think if I was really on it technically, would my theory be correct? Or is it not correct? So there you go. I'll leave you with that riddle. You can ponder that riddle. Not that you'll think about it from from beyond this this kind of thing, but uh, ponder it if you if you must. It's that you know. It's that fundamental thing of right being on something enough in order to uh, for the theory of 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 it to um, be able to be a reality. <laughs> just like it sounds so fucking abstract. Sorry. Anyway, it's been one of those days and one of those weeks. And, uh, yes, yeah, so, and and been back at work, which has been very, very busy. And then I'm on, and I'm just back on holiday again for a week and a day now, which is, I'm kind of really savouring this last little bit of, um, of, uh, of trying to get, the battery's recharged a bit, uh, which has been proving to be very, very hard. You know, it's very, very hard to switch off um, from when you're going to got impending um, stuff that's about to happen, and you know it's about to happen. You know, and it's just it's like the bus, it's like the buses thing. You know, I've spent all this time waiting for things to to kind of start. And it just feels at the moment like everything's going to come at once, you know. And I've got some very busy, uh, some very busy weeks in September, playing wise, uh, and it's great, you know. Um, got got a, a quite a sort of challenge in depth to do some and learn some music. Got a gig uh, the day after with someone I've been I play with for years, which I'm really looking forward to. Which should be which should be quite a just a nice joyous kind of gig. Uh, and then another gig the day after, which I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. And then the weekend after, disco classical kicks off again, just for this one-off gig, you know. <laughs> And uh, this week, I've really got to get my head back into that zone, you know. And that's, um, yeah, it's another thing. And uh, I'd also had this thing about getting my getting some in-ears made. Some, uh, and I just haven't got around to doing it, you know. And there's all these little things that are like, I've had all this time. Why have I not got around to getting this stuff sorted out, you know. But anyway, it's all fine. Um, but yeah, it all feels like it's about to kick off, you know all about to kick off and uh, so anyway yeah that's kind of it today I, I, I was just thinking about the tribute thing um, and wanted to make sure I hadn't missed anybody 
Um, but no, it was just, you know, it was, uh, yeah, RIP Charlie Watts. And thank you for uh, the amazing contribution to music and uh, everything and drums and uh, the vibe of what you brought to um, to it all and what uh, and just uh, that kind of gentlemanly honest thing that uh, very much kind of was always there from the beginning of that music you know from the from the 60s all the way through to to today when he's passed away you know amazing just like consistent thing um it was kind of you know you know think about quintessential things in life about you know if you want to say something really sums something up and absolutely in its in in its kind of original thing and it's just what it is that's what it feels to me like you know like that's what his thing was you know um not that it didn't evolve but just that it it um always had that kind of quality about it, you know. Um, quality and character, which I think are really, really, really important things. I think, you know, if we can all think about that in our play and about what we're trying to bring to the instrument and what we're trying to share in the world with people, you know, um, that's that's kind of what it means to me today and that's what I wanted to share. So thanks for listening and... Um, Yeah, I'll be back in a couple of weeks, so bye for now.